0: to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! the get, get up right now. Get it up, turn the your go. windows, it's the most. open them and stick your head it's out, out and, in here. This is the war. and I'm not to take this I'm this, I'm this is the middle! The greatest trick, open the five bay door ever called <laughs> the world. First is, <laughs> <from the laughs> I, I avoid. you. Don't talk about God. And may God have mercy on your soul hey everybody it is episode 27 time here on the Neg's best film podcast and today we've got two major releases two movie reviews and I am being joined for the first time on the show by my good friend Michael Schwartz you can find him at Mike movie on Twitter He is pretty knowledgeable about film, about the Oscars, all the things that I love to talk about every now and again. Mike, how's it going, man? It's great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Awesome. I'm really glad to have you here on the show today. I'm glad to have you to review discuss two very different types of films war dogs and Kubo and the two strings this is going to be a fun one for sure but before we dive into those two films here uh, what have you been catching up on the past week or so anything on television anything else besides those two films that you saw in the theater Yeah, this was actually a pretty big week
1: for me, film-going-wise. I got to catch up with Indignation, which I was really looking forward to
0: seeing. Yeah, like, tell me about that. How was that movie? You know what? I walked in
1: with pretty high expectations. Just knowing what I heard from reviews and the film synopsis, it seemed like something that might be up my alley in terms of interests and the period that it was setting and the performances. And it was just really fantastic. It's a very different movie for the summer. It almost feels like something that you would see come around in September or October towards the Oscar season. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know much about the Philip Roth novel. It was adapted from going in. So it felt all fresh to me. And it was just this really nice experience to just sit there in a movie theater in the summer and be able to see this movie about what felt like real people dealing with real problems. These are fully written characters and it was just really refreshing. Honestly, it's the best film I've seen so far this year.
0: So let's back up for a minute on this for because I saw the trailer for this movie and I wasn't necessarily overwhelmed by it. I didn't think that it had the necessary hook, I guess you could say, for me. So what is it about this film that sucks you in? Is it the performances? Is it the uh, writing of the characters? It just feels very natural. Is it paced well? Like, well, what is it about this film that has you labeling it as the best of the year so far?
1: I think this might just be me specifically speaking, but I don't know, maybe other people felt it too. I felt that the main character played by Logan Lerman, his name, is, his name is Marcus, I just found his story very compelling and even relatable at times. And even though a lot of it is sort of far off from my own personal experience in college, it's, there's a connection there that I just felt was very deep and meaningful. And it has a lot of scenes that feel like they're taken straight out of a stage play. You have these long takes. There's the scene that he has with Tracy Letts from Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and he also wrote August Osage County. He plays the dean of the school that Logan Lerman is attending. And the scene goes on for about 15, 20 minutes, and it's this really intelligent discussion that they have back and forth where Tracy Letts' character is set up to be the antagonist in the film. Mm Mm-hmm. But you see that all these points that he's making are sort of right and logan lerman's character is a little full of himself and you're supposed to be siding with him but as they're having this discussion you start to think wait a second maybe it's not as i thought before and it's a really compelling scene and everything that goes on from there on which is like the second half of the movie really is just gripping and different from what we've been seeing in the theater lately it was just very unique and i appreciated everything it was doing
0: that's really really cool you know I got to say that Logan Lerman is an actor who you may not have noticed him pre the perks of being a wallflower. But I mean, he had quite the impressive resume and still does going on into his career here. I mean, you figure he was one of Mel Gibson's sons in The Patriot. He was in The Butterfly Effect. He was in 310 to Yuma. Uh, Percy Jackson. we, We like to forget about that movie from time to time. But he was in Percy Jackson. All of a sudden, boom, he comes out in Perks of Being a Wallflower, really gets on everybody's radar at that point. He's got a role in Noah. Fury was a film that I know that really also helped to elevate him. Yeah. And now with this film, he's a leading man for, I believe, what is now kind of the first time in his career. I mean, you didn't really get that so much with uh, Fury and Perks of Being a Wallflower, only because I felt like with Perks, um, the other two actors in the film, Ezra Miller and... Um, uh, Hermione. Emma Watson. Yep, thank you. Exactly. I, I, I always call her Hermione, and everybody's like, oh yeah, Emma Watson, right? Yeah, right. well, you gotta fix that
1: before Beauty and the Beast, or else she's gonna be Belle after that. Yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, but he really, I've heard, solidifies himself here as a force to definitely be reckoned with, and the guy is only 24 years old. So he's definitely got a lot more promising things ahead of him, and that's for sure.
1: It's a very, very impressive performance. He holds the movie even when he's against these great stage actors like I mentioned Tracy Letts. But he Mm -hmm. also gets to work with Danny Burstein and Linda Emond, who were together in Cabaret a few years ago. Mm. And they were outstanding in that production at Studio 54 in New York. Also, uh, Sarah Gaydon who is a Canadian actress, she did the film Enemy, the uh, Dennis Villeneuve, I can never pronounce his name. Denis Villeneuve. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to learn to do that by the time Arrival opens this fall. (laughs) But uh, she was in that film Enemy that he did with Jake Gyllenhaal. Yep. And uh, she's really very good in this. She has a very bleak role. And I want to just give a warning that the film itself, as great as it is, is not an easy watch. It's actually quite dark and bleak and depressing.
0: Wow. Okay
1: that her character adds another layer to it that uh, doesn't doesn't seem like the film is going in the direction it eventually does when her character shows up.
0: Well, you know what? I'm going to take your word for it. I'm going to seek this one out myself. And this is a topic that you and I are going to be talking about a lot more in the weeks to come, more on that in a bit. But can you tell me what Oscar prospects are there for this film right now, if any? You know what? In a perfect world,
1: I would say it lands... Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor for Tracy Letts, Best Supporting Actress for Linda Imond. But knowing the type of release it has, and the studio that it's coming from, I believe it's from Lionsgate, or Summit, uh, or the a company Roadside, something like that. Anyway, just the type of small summer release this is, before the big Oscar season, I don't know that it's going to have much of a campaign later on in the year. I love to think that it does, but just being realistic, I don't think it lands up with anything, but we'll see. I'm going to champion it throughout the year, so you
0: never know. All right, then. Cool. Uh, unfortunately for myself, I did not have a chance to catch up on literally anything this week. No movies uh, other than the two that we are reviewing here, nothing on television. Um, I had a pretty uh, pre- pretty rough week, I guess you could say. There was a uh, There was a tragedy in the family. And uh, they've pretty much occupied up all my time this week. So uh, I don't have anything to necessarily report on for this. But let's segue over. Let's move over to our first review of the podcast. This film is Todd Phillips' latest after completing the Hangover trilogy starring Miles Teller and Jonah Hill. This here is War Dogs. Hello? Hey. Hey, babe. Did I wake you? No, I'm just at the hotel. We're about to have some breakfast. Listen, I get why you're doing this. It's just the lying that kills me. I need you to know that you can tell me anything, David. David? Yeah, I got to call you right back. Is everything OK? Yeah, everything's fine. OK, love you, bye. Hey! What? Look! No, no! My name is David Packhouse. I'm 22 years old, and I'm an international arms dealer. Six months ago, I was a massage therapist in Miami Beach. Sorry, you'd film. And now, here I was with my best friend from junior high. I think you should come work for me. I'm against this war. This isn't about being pro-war. This is about being pro-money. How did two 20-something young men land a $300 million Pentagon contract? You told me you guys were selling pet sheets. I also told you that we are selling other stuff, too. I thought you meant pillows. God bless America! 100 million rounds of AK-47 ammo. He can fill the whole order. I'm barred from doing any business with the U.S. government. I'm on a watch list. You're on a terrorist watch list? Do you work for Homeland Security? Relax, bro. This is the job, to do business with the people the U.S. government can't do business with directly. No
1: We're on the verge of making $300 million. Is that legal? It's not illegal.
0: I'm not a bad
1: man. But certain situations... I have to ask myself, what would a bad man do?
0: Is this safe, driving to Baghdad? Very safe. 50-50. What, like 50% we live, 50% we die? Yes, this is why we drive through the night. It is much safer. How much safer?
1: 50-50. Bro, what the...
0: Okay, so War Dogs is written, directed by Todd Phillips. Uh, He also had some of her writing partners on the film. It is starring Miles Teller, Jonah Hill, Kevin Pollack, Bradley Cooper, and a few others. The plot goes as follows. With the war in Iraq raging on, Ephraim DeViroli offers childhood friend David Pakos a chance to make big bucks by becoming an international arms dealer. Together, they exploit a government initiative that allows businesses to bid on U.S. military contracts. Starting small allows the duo to rake in money and live the high life. They soon find themselves in over their heads after landing a $300 million deal to supply Afghan forces, a deal that puts them in business with some very dangerous people. Let's pass it off to you first, Mike. What did you think of War Dogs? So I'm going to be very honest here. Going
1: into this, knowing what I knew about the movie, knowing who was in it, who directed it, I was dreading this thing. The trailers did absolutely nothing for me. It looked like this obnoxious type of bro culture that The Wolf of Wall Street seemed to do well. This just looked like it was almost a spoof of The Wolf of Wall Street. So I was not expecting very much from this at all, but I went in because I knew we we would be talking about it on the podcast today. And honestly, I'm going to go as far as to say that it's the surprise of the summer for me. Wow. I really, really like this movie, believe it or not. Really? Yes. And, you know, I don't know what it was. It just, from the second it started, I don't want to say it was Scorsese-esque, because that's that's something that you could say about so many films, and it's been said over and over again. And I don't think that Todd Phillips has the same skill that Scorsese does. But you could see where there are obvious Things that were taken from a film like Goodfellas or Wolf of Wall Street again, like the way that he does a few
0: freeze frames and cuts. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean because even in the first opening scene of the film, when Miles Teller's character is introduced and they have that freeze frame moment and voiceover narration comes on, you might as well have the voiceover narration say – Ever since I was a little kid, I always wanted to be an international arms dealer. You
1: really have everything from like the opening of a trunk to seeing a body come out of it.
0: And, you know, it's funny you mention the Scorsese um, homages, the ripoffs, the whatever you want to call it, essentially. I think David O. Russell in American Hustle did Scorsese better than Todd Phillips does in this film. Absolutely.
1: And I'm not saying this is a great film by any means. It's just that it's the end of August and you're not expecting much from these releases from the studios. So that this one wasn't the, you know, the gross, grow culture type of film I thought it was going to be. Yeah. was sort of a surprise because I think what the film does so well and what caught me off guard is that it sort of holds his characters responsible for the actions that they
0: take later on when it becomes
1: a little morally irresponsible.
0: You know what film this actually reminded me of more so than even uh, *Goodfellas* or *Wolf of Wall Street* actually. What's that? Did you ever see Michael Bay's film *Pain and Gain*? I didn't, but I did see people on Twitter comparing it to that. It's very, very much like that in terms of aesthetically, like how it's shot, the uh, the situation of you know people weighing over their heads, all in pursuit of the American Dream, aka money. And how it all just comes crumbling down on them because they're a bunch of two idiots. Well, the film, to be fair, tries to make Jonah Hill out to be the idiot. Miles Teller out to be more so the righteous one of the two. And I'm not necessarily sure if I kind of like that. But I guess it creates drama and friction between the two characters as a result. With that said, though, some positives on my end. I think this is Jonah Hill's best performance he's ever given as far as a mixture of comedy, drama, and overall just creating a character. I love him in Wolf of Wall Street, don't get me wrong, but I think that there is a lot going on underneath the surface with this character of Ephraim here that he gives actually quite a bit of depth to. It's never necessarily hinted at through the dialogue, but you could tell in his mannerisms and how he carries himself psychologically, you know he has thought this character through.
1: Yeah, I thought he was really very good. I wouldn't call it his best performance. I'd still put Moneyball and The Wolf of Wall Street above this. But it was definitely a different performance than I was expecting going in. Like I said, that trailer did not do much to sell me at first. Mm -hmm. So I was just thinking it was going to be more in the vein of his Seth Rogen days, like almost a super bad type of performance, like that type of obnoxiousness.
0: But that's how the film was marketed, though. I mean, they marketed it as this comedy, and you realize it's it's not. No, it's totally not. It's a drama with comedy laced in. I'm not so sure if I dug it like that, honestly, though. I don't think that worked for me.
1: What it started to remind me of as I was watching it, I know I've made the Scorsese comparison before, but definitely a lot of Wolf of Wall Street, but I was thinking that movie crossed with Charlie Wilson's War.
0: Okay, I'm kind of following you in terms of plot, but in terms of, like, tone and dialogue, I'm not getting that comparison. Well, you know what? There was one
1: scene that really made me think that, and this isn't a spoiler, but there's a scene where a window shatters.
0: Uh, yes. Yes, and that's one of my favorite Philip uh, Seymour Hoffman scenes of all time yes. from Charlie Wilson's War. That scene is just fantastic. So you have this whole thing with like uh,
1: the Middle East and American conflict, and then this, you have a window shattering, and I'm thinking, you know what? There are a lot of small parallels, not in terms of style, but just plot, to Charlie Wilson's War here.
0: Yeah, I, I, I definitely catch what you're saying with that now more so. Than anything. And then there's also a touch of the big short. Uh, yeah, I guess so, in terms of the commentary of, uh, you know, what's going on in terms of behind the scenes and things that we don't necessarily see, and how it, you figure, like, you know, and whenever you, like, look at somebody and you say, oh, the gears are turning behind, you know, his head there. In this movie, they really do kind of zoom in on the gears turning behind the scenes and how it's making um, the war its own business for people like Miles Teller and Jonah Hill here to profit from and you realize that war isn't something that's necessarily uh, born out of conflict I mean there's always going to be conflict but it's something that the economy and a lot of these businesses thrive on they need there to be a war to create all these jobs to create all these products that ultimately get sold for money and I kind of like the theme of the film in that you know money will make good people do bad things, money will make sane people do insane things. Uh, my only gripe about that is that it's a tired old cliche that I've heard before. It's nothing necessarily new. Right. And I think I might have liked, or thought a little less of the film
1: if I had gone in with normal expectations. And I tried to go into everything with an open mind, but I just wasn't having it going into this one. It just seemed like something that did not appeal to me on any level. So the fact that I enjoyed it more than I thought I would... Maybe makes me like it a little bit more now. I don't know. (laughs) But you know what? That happens sometimes.
0: Yeah, I just find this film to be very mean-spirited, mostly due to the Jonah Hill character, who you think has redeeming qualities, and then he just pulls a fast one on you, and you find out he's really just a manipulative, backstabbing liar. And so I look at Miles Teller, and all I keep saying to myself is, your girlfriend, wife, whatever she is in this film, she is so hot, dude. Don't you dare lie to her, and don't you dare do anything that's going to make her leave you. Bro, what are you doing right now? (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, that's the whole thing. He's sucked up into this culture. like Jordan Belfort in
1: The Wolf of Wall Street, Mm -hmm. he has uh, Naomi in that film, and then he has the drug culture and everything with the money on Wall Street, and he's taken away from that family life. It's not to that same extent here in War Dogs, but you still have a little bit of that where he's sucked in by the money that he's making, selling these... uh, guns over to Iraq
0: well I mean quite honestly I can't stand the whole long suffering why do you lie to me girlfriend right. uh, it's something that we've it's, seen
1: before it's a, uh, it could be a little tired but for what it was in this movie it wasn't a big enough problem for me to say oh that's a giant flaw I don't like this
0: oh for me it was totally I, I I'm, I'm very hard on movies like really hard um, I give credit where credit is due. I do think Jonah Hill is fantastic. I actually think this film is also shot very well um, by cinematographer Lauren Scherr. I, I think that Todd Phillips shoots his comedies unlike any other director in Hollywood. Um, he doesn't go for high key lighting, he doesn't go for these simple TV esque framed shots. He simply just goes for something that looks very cinematic. Um, He uses a lot of slow-mo. He does a lot of uh, cross-editing. And also, too, he uses a lot of music as well. Yeah. I don't know that I would say necessarily well, though. I was going to say, I didn't think the music choices in this movie were spot-on. I thought they were very obvious.
1: If I had one problem, it would be in that, in the choices. Like, we've seen them all before. When he walks into the casino, you have, what was that, Dean Martin playing...
0: I don't remember, honestly. It was the
1: song that you hear every time somebody walks into a casino. Okay. And just some of the music choices were a little on the nose. It was the Forrest Gump of 2016 in that respect. Yeah. If that's the worst problem I have with this movie, it's, you know, pretty good.
0: I'm I'm completely opposite. (laughs) I don't agree with you at all. And I'm so sorry to say that. Um one of our topic of conversation I could think of, though, about this film is also the presence of Bradley Cooper. Yes. Who I actually really, really dug in this movie, and I thought he was really, really good. I thought he was very chilling, very cold, very reserved, but he wasn't in the movie enough for me. Yeah, he's in, what, three or four scenes maybe? Yeah, and then the final scene I thought right. was so – Unfulfilling and it left mm-hmm. things unresolved in a, in a manner in which I just was kind of left feeling frustrated, I suppose. I guess you could say. Like, it didn't make sense to me, character wise, why he, he would. I don't want to get into spoilers here, but let's just say Bradley Cooper does something for Miles Teller at the end of the movie, and it just doesn't seem to make sense to me.
1: Yeah, that was a weird note to end the film on.
0: And, and you know what, too, from a structural standpoint, you you talking about ending the film on a weird note. I did find that the film was kind of structured poorly with the the what was it qu- quotes from the movie that also weren't in quotes. Uh, they just came up on the screen over black well, a white title over black.
1: Right. There was no foundation to having them there.
0: No, I didn't understand it. It's like, okay, so your film is broken up into chapters. What are you, Quentin Tarantino? All of a sudden, says he's not good enough for you. I, I just found that to be a little slightly pretentious, and I didn't understand what the purpose of it was necessarily.
1: I will say that I did laugh at the one that said, Dick Cheney's America. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, when Jonah Hill's like running by them, and he's like, God bless Dick Cheney's America! Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, look, I don't have much to praise this movie for, but... You know, it was two hours on a Saturday morning, mm-hmm. and there were a lot of worse stuff I could have, or worse things I could have done with my time. Sure, sure. Knowing or thinking that I wasn't going to like it, and going in and finding that it was something I mildly enjoyed. Like I said, you could do a lot worse. At least for me.
0: Well, let's then uh, toss it up to any final thoughts that you may have on the film that maybe we didn't touch upon, and in what grade would you give War Dogs?
1: Yeah, I'd just say. If- give it a chance even if it seems like something you might not like or it's not up your alley. You know, if you have nothing to do on in these dog days of August, why not?
0: I have he- I have heard uh, like the conversation's very split, you know, there's a lot of people that really do like it a lot. Like, you know, and I'm and I'm talking maybe even more so than you do. So, I uh, I'm with you on that in the sense that I think people should give it a chance and you might fall on one end of the spectrum.
1: Right. I know it was at 59 or 60 on Rotten Tomatoes last I checked. So it's right in the middle there. Mm -hmm. So as for a grade, I'd give it B, B plus maybe.
0: Okay. That's fair. That's fair. I am going a lot lower than that. I think that the film is not necessarily a good drama, nor is it a good comedy even. I didn't think that the laughs were actually that good. In fact, the only thing that made me laugh in the movie was Jonah Hill's laugh, which I found to be hysterical and he, cause he what? He laughs maybe five times in the movie. And every time that he does it, it just uh, got a huge reaction from the audience. I saw the film with, but that's a joke that runs its course throughout the course of the movie. With that said, I don't, I don't, I, 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 don't really recommend war dogs. I really don't. I think that there might be some stuff in there that's worth exploring but when when you realize that most of the events that are in the film were heavily dramatized, when you realize that the tone of the movie is just all over the place, Todd Phillips doesn't – I don't feel like he understood what kind of a movie he actually wanted to make here and even if he did – I think that the marketing for the film really, really did hurt it. Now, I'm judging the film based on its own here, but maybe when you say you went in with very low expectations, I might have gone in with higher expectations, especially considering before the film was uh, released and there were some reviews popping up. Yeah, you sent me, I think, what was it, one review or so where they compared it to Goodfellas?
1: Yeah, it was interesting because a few weeks ago I was hearing terrible things about this from, uh, I guess, trade critics who had seen it. Mm Mm-hmm. And this was, like, scattered on Twitter before the embargo broke. And then I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday that we started to see reviews come from Variety and the Hollywood Reporter. Mm -hmm. And the first I saw was from Variety, and they gave it a glowing review. I was like, whoa, what's that? I might have to actually check this out now.
0: That, my friend, is one person's opinion. That's what that is right there. absolutely.
1: Well... You know what? You got to go check it out for yourself sometimes. And this one is right in the middle in terms of that critical
0: divide. I do give Todd Phillips credit for trying to break away from raunchy comedies like The Hangover. Yeah. Uh, even even Due Date, I thought was you know more raunchy. God, than I this. forgot
1: about that one.
0: Yeah, like that was smack dab in the middle of uh, his his Hangover film. So I'm glad that he's moved on to different material at this point. Like I said, though, I just don't think that the film works for me with that said on a scale of oh boy here we go on a scale of five stars i give it one star Uh, I, i i i know that it sounds like i've got a lot of positive things to say about the film don't get me wrong but it really really does leave a sour taste in my mouth that i can't seem to quite wash off and so sorry todd phillips jonah hill miles teller cooper company war dogs don't like it, man. Just can't do it. With that said, we got a second film to talk about now. And I think you like this one better. Oh yes, I do. This second film here is from Laika. Laika. How do you say the yeah, studio? Yeah, Laika. Name? Laika. Like a La- 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 good film. Uh, yes. Laika has made another one here, in my opinion, with Kubo and the Two Strings. Let's check out that trailer, shall we? Your village is burned to the ground, your enemies aren't far behind. We need to go now. You have questions I can tell. Who? You get three. Why only three? Okay that was your first question. What? I don't understand what's happening. This is the beginning of your story. Your family is very powerful your mother used her magic to save you run and bring me to life what are we gonna do we're going to find your father's armor it's the only thing that can protect you
1: many years ago I was cursed this great adventure is my destiny Your
0: magic is growing stronger, you need to learn control. Right, Kubo. Give this story a happy ending
1: if you must blink.
0: Do it now. All right, Kubo and the Two Strings. Interesting title. But then again, Laika is a very interesting studio that makes very interesting films, such as Coraline, Power Norman, The Box Trolls. Here they are now with what I think is one of the best animated films of the year. Man, I'm like already reviewing the film before I go through the proper introduction here. You're that excited to talk about it. I know, I am, exactly. (laughs) Let's get through a synopsis here. An epic action adventure from acclaimed animation studio Laika. Clever, kind-hearted Kubo, Eeks out a humble, living, telling, fantastical stories to the people of his seaside town. But his relatively quiet existence is shattered when he accidentally summons a mythical spirit from his past, which storms down from the heavens to enforce an age-old vendetta. Now, on the run, Kubo joins forces with Monkey and Beetle and sets out on a thrilling quest to save his family and solve the mystery of his fallen father, the greatest samurai warrior the world has ever no. Kubo and the Two Strings has the voice acting talents of Charlie Steron, Art Parkinson, Ray Fiennes, Rooney Mara, George Takai, and Matthew McConaughey. Michael, let's toss it off to you first. What did you think of Kubo and the Two Strings?
1: Well, it's very interesting because I actually saw this movie a little over a month ago. I was invited to an early screening of it at my local movie theater. And I didn't see it in 3D, it was just a 2D screening on a fairly small screen. But there was a big crowd, so I was interested to see what the audience thought of it. And I also had the privilege of going in without reading any reviews. And I know the ones that were up by the time you saw it were glowing. It was on Rotten Tomatoes at 95%, I believe. Yeah, something pretty high. So I had no idea what this was going to be. I didn't even know what the story was about. I walked in just knowing I liked the previous Leica films, Coraline Paranorman and Trolls. So I was very interested to see what they had to offer here. And I'll say I did like the film. It was good. But I'm not going to praise it like the other critics are. I think on a technical level, the animation is absolutely stunning. I think we can agree on that.
0: It's like gravity when I saw that film. I'm looking at the screen and I'm wondering, how the hell did they do that?
1: It opens with a wave. They're out in the ocean. And the way that you see this water, even though it's animated through stop motion... It looks real. Yep. It's really incredible.
0: It also reminded me visually of the perfect storm.
1: <laughs> yes. And then without spoiling anything, there's that finale, which I won't say what happens, but the way that it's designed and the characters are designed in this final 10 minute battle sequence is really incredible. Agreed. Full and agreed. I don't know how they got this thing to move, how they made it look so authentic, but it was just very effective while watching it. So I'm going to praise the technical elements of this movie without a doubt. I think the performances were quite good. Charlie's Theron is great. Ray Fiennes was very good. I liked the Rooney Mara cameo. Uh, the only performance I wasn't that crazy about was Matthew McConaughey's, believe it or not.
0: I'm in the same boat as you with that one. Who I
1: think just felt a little forced in there.
0: I kind of don't like that even in an animated performance, he still finds a way to put his mcconaughey Into his performance.
1: Yeah, and I like Matthew McConaughey very, very much.
0: Don't get me wrong. I just don't think that he is necessarily suited for this story. Right. I think he got cast based on obviously the name recognition aspect. I don't think that he was necessarily the best person to play this role. Right. So, technical element and
1: performances, they're all good. Now, the story is where I got lost a little bit. And I'm not going to say I disliked it because I did. I just felt that it stalled out a little bit halfway through. And I don't want to say I was bored, because I wasn't. I enjoyed looking at this movie, but I didn't get to connect with it on an emotional level that I think a lot of other people are. And that sort of bothers me, because I want to be able to see it the way everybody else is. That just something about it didn't click the way that it should have.
0: I see what you mean by that, because this is a very unconventional narrative. Absolutely. There is a lot of... Things that happen in the film at a deliberate pace for an animated movie that as I'm watching it, I'm saying to myself, who is this made for, kids or adults? I I can't really tell. Right. It's very dark for children. Because even as I'm watching it, I'm saying to myself, man, even Pixar, their films are catered a lot towards adults. And yet they move with much higher degree of pace than this film seems to be moving at. I mean – there are times when I was watching this and I agree with you. There is that low point where I knew the story was moving and I got that sense, but it was taking its time. And that's not something that you see every day. There's a journey that the characters go on in the film and
1: it, it starts off fine. But then after it starts going for a while, it feels like it's just running in circles for a little bit.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Mean. I mean, I, I get you. I totally hear you on that because... You realize that when you when you actually pull pull back and you look at the story and you see exactly what the story is, you kind of understand that the story is very simple. Right. It's not a heavily complex story with many different side characters. Even that there's a small cast of characters in this film, so it's not like the hero is going on this epic journey where he's uh, touching base with all these different characters along the way. He's got his companions, he's got his villains, and that's really it. So. It's very, very odd how much the film decides to scale back and really take its time to let the emotion of the film really wash over you and let it really sink in. Because there is a lot of emotion and a lot of heart packed into Especially this movie. Especially
1: in the finale. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. That's where the film really worked for me. After stalling for a little bit in the middle, when you get to that final battle sequence towards the end, which, like I said, on a technical level is just jaw-dropping, there's also an emotional aspect that comes into play there that I found very moving and redeemed some of the quibbles I had with the film.
0: Now, it was funny because as I'm watching this and I'm looking at like the design of this movie, like what you said before, it is just jaw-droppingly stunning. I mean, wow. You know, When I'm looking at the animation, a stop-motion animation always manages to make my jaw hit the floor and just wonder and an amazement. With this film, I'm looking at it and I'm saying to myself, man, we've got comparisons here to Akira Kurosara. We've got Kung Fu Panda um, visual type. You know, I'm looking at this film and all I'm thinking of is, man, this is literally Kung Fu Panda in many, many different ways, but yet they have it easier because they're doing it all through the computer, I feel like. I feel like stop motion is so freaking difficult.
1: Yeah, you really have to be dedicated to do it. Not that I've done it myself, but I just Every time you see it, it's like, wow, that must take a lot of skill and craft and patience
0: to pull it off. And if you look online, there's a couple of videos on YouTube that are floating around that actually dive deep into the making of the film. And you see, uh, through time-lapse, the animators moving the puppets and getting the shot that they want to get and how they also utilize stuff like green screen, um, how they move the camera. It's It's truly, truly, truly such a lost art I feel like I mean you don't see stop motion that much nowadays and Leica has really come along and really rejuvenated it over the last couple of years I feel like to the point where I really 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 want to see more of this style of animation I, 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 I absolutely love it and I don't know if that necessarily caters back to my childhood and loving the nightmare before Christmas maybe you know <laughs> but I really, truly am in just complete awe, and I bow down to all of the animators and the storytellers that worked on this film and kind of back for a minute here because I said storytellers. Kubo himself is a storyteller, and this film is a lot about the art of storytelling now it's interesting that you and I kind of have some quibbles with the storytelling of this film right, which I which I I wonder to myself, am I in the wrong here objectively speaking and looking at it that way? am I you know am I, am, I, am, I, am I missing something here you know? because it's so like unconventional as we said before that maybe we just weren't prepared for it and possibly it could be rewarded with a second viewing.
1: Well, I don't think we're in the wrong because I have heard a number of critics who have also praised the technical elements and the performances go on to say that the story was definitely the weakest aspect of it for them. So we're not alone here. I know a lot of people have said that too. Okay.
0: That's fair. I I definitely think that what they pull off in this movie as far as, for example, Kubo's got the guitar, right? And it's got three strings. So everybody's wondering, well, why the hell is it called Kubo and the two strings? Well, by the end of the film, you do find out Mm -hmm. and you do definitely understand very much. So why it is called that, um, the beetle, life, you know, the samurai slash beetle and the talking living monkey that used to be a charm in his pocket that he would uh, talk to in, in the evening. I mean, all of that stuff, the hokey pokey magic and everything, it's a it's a stretch, you know, but you're dealing with something that has to do with a lot of uh, uh, folklore here and uh, also dealing with Japanese culture. Um, So there's a lot of liberties that the storytellers can take with the story here. So you kind of, I guess, forgive the film for that and being a little wacky as a result. And what really does connect you to the film ultimately is Kubo's connection to not just his mother, but the rest of his family as well, and how that parental love from grandparent to child, and then from that, from them to their children, so on and so forth, how that bond really does all tie us together, not just in life, but in death as well. I found that part of it. When that aspect of the film really came through, it was like, wow, these guys are really, really trying for something pretty hard here, and I got to give them credit.
1: It's a very mature message that it sends to a younger audience. And I think it's good that they would ask questions at the end or be able to connect to something that they never have before. Mm-hmm. Do you think that kids will understand it, though? I don't think very young kids will understand it, but I'd say anyone nine and up would be able to connect pretty well, don't you?
0: Yeah, I, I definitely think nine for sure. Uh, this is not Finding Dory. This is not... No, no, no. Yeah, this is not a Kung Fu Panda. This is this is like Zootopia level of thematic uh, you know, topics that could just go right over a child's head. And even then, I think Zootopia is much better for younger audiences. Right, you still have the slots
1: in Zootopia to entertain the kids.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: There's no sloth here. As much as Matthew McConaughey is jokey in his character, that's not the same type of humor that Disney had in Zootopia.
0: Which I found to be very flat. I didn't find there to be... A single laugh in this movie, really. I, I did not get a single moment where I was like, ah, oh, ha, ha that's, that's hysterical.
1: Yeah, and then when it was
0: obviously trying
1: to go for that, it just didn't fly that well.
0: No. So while I do think that this is a very strong contender uh, to be nominated for Best Animated Feature at the end of the year, because it definitely has its champions out there, I don't think this is a film for the win, by any means,
1: I don't think it's going to win, but I think it definitely will be nominated on technical aspect alone.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, if you're going to see the film, you got to see it for its technical aspects. It, it is truly a marvel. It really, really is, and it, like it's one of those things that when you go to theater, I saw it in three D. Oh, I was going to ask about that. How was it? It was okay. You know, I I don't see many 3D movies nowadays that really make me go, wow, oh my gosh, that was incredible. I don't really get that feeling anymore. I used to, I feel like, but those kind of 3D films are now few and far in between because I think the technology now is starting to get like a little slightly, eh, it's not as new anymore. It's not as flashy. We've
1: had it for a number of years and every big release seems to use it.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, when it first came out and you had Avatar, Hugo, Life of Pi and all these very serious filmmakers utilizing the tool in their cinematic arsenal, you really, really got this sense that it was something of just pure wonderment. Wow, I've never seen this before. Now I feel like I have seen it before and it's kind of lost some of its gut-punching feeling to it as a result, you know. It's it is what it is. Is it fine? Sure, it's fine. It's not going to light the world on fire and make people go you got to see this in 3D. Oh, it's amazing. It's not going to do that. What it will do though is it will still 3D standard doesn't matter. You'll you'll look at this film and you will just as I did, you'll wonder how the heck did they do this? How many years? How many animators? Just it's, it's, it's really uh, an achievement that I hope that the animation branch is able to recognize at the end of the year, especially with the Annie Awards. But we'll, that, you know, we'll have to wait and see.
1: This is the first Leica film I did not see in 3D. Really? The previous three I did see, and I think it, those made very good use of the format, especially Coraline. There was a lot going on there with the different dimensions that she went into, and there was one scene, there was a show with the, the women on the trapeze. Mm-hmm. that made great use of the format the box trolls of paranormal too i really enjoyed seeing them in 3d mm-hmm. so the screening that i was at was only 2d i didn't have the option and i think if i were to go see it just as a moviegoer i don't know it seems like if i were to go again that is i would maybe go in 3d because there were a few scenes that i saw that there's one in the beginning where he's playing with origami it looks like yep And the way that it moves, you could see even watching it in 2D that it was designed to look like it's coming out of the screen. Mm. So if I did end up seeing it again, I would see it in 3D just to see what it looks like in particular scenes. And
0: I definitely think that would be a very good idea to to, uh, do so at some point. I don't think I will be seeing it again myself. There's not really anybody out there that I'm kind of, you know jumping at the bit to be like you have to come with me and see this film you have to come with me and see this film but I think it's a very solid film where, where would you rank it in like his uh, filmography so far with the four films that they have released so far
1: well I do want to restate that I like the film very much I'm just not going to rave about it like these other critics were so when I say that it's my least favorite film of theirs that doesn't wow. mean it's bad by any, any means I just think that Paranorman, Coraline and the Box Trolls are better
0: than this Wow. Okay, that's. I I didn't. I didn't expect you to rate it down all the way over there, but again, not a bad thing. It just happens to fall that
1: way. They've only made four movies.
0: Sure, I I absolutely understand what you mean. I I think that, for me, I would probably rank it, mm, number two behind Coraline. Oh well. Yeah. Now, were you a fan of the Box
1: Trolls? I know that got mixed reviews two years ago.
0: Box Trolls is my least favorite. So, Paranorman, I would put it, number three. Okay. Everybody's going to have a different list at the end of the day here right? You know, when it comes to this because I think the films are very varied, uh, are varied enough that you can have a diversified uh, list with different um, placements there, for sure. I very much look forward, though, to seeing what it is they're going to do next, though, because I think that they're trying very, very hard to find new ways to top themselves and so it should be pretty exciting to see. With that set, let's uh, roll it over to final thoughts and grades here. What are your final thoughts on Kubo and the Two Strings, and what grade would you give it?
1: I think I've said everything that needs to be said. It's very good, especially if you're going just to look at it on a visual level. I would recommend it to anybody looking to see a stop-motion film or even just getting ready for the Oscar season, because as I said before, this definitely will be a contender for the best animated feature Uh, As for grade, what are we doing now? Uh, Letter grades or stars? Uh, I always do stars, but you do whatever you feel is right. Okay, yeah, I usually stick with letters. So I think I'm going to give it a solid B. Solid B. Okay. Right in the middle there.
0: All right. I'm not necessarily uh, that, you know, divided on it necessarily. While I do recognize that there are some flaws in the film, the things that it does get right more so make up for it, in my opinion. So I'm actually going to give it a grade of 4 out of 5 stars, same grade I gave Finding Dory earlier this year, which I think is a pretty fair comparison. Zootopia is still my favorite animated film of the year, though, at 4.5 out of 5, and is actually still, at this point, ranking as my number one favorite film of the year still, which... (laughs) <laughs> oh, man, it's amazing that we're heading now into Oscar season. I'm wondering what film's going to come along that's going to dethrone that. At this point, we'll have to wait and see.
1: Zootopia is up there for me too. I think it's my number three or four of the year at the moment, and I could see it hanging on because I really love that film.
0: Oh yeah, I, I think I saw that film more times than any other this year. At, at three, yeah, I saw that film three times this year in the theater.
1: I've only seen it once, but it still uh, has. I have fond memories of it still.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this was uh, pretty cool. We got to uh, review two films in uh, a pretty decent amount of time here. We're actually under an hour right now, so I'm sure my listeners will definitely appreciate that. But we actually have some pretty cool news to tell everybody right now. Mike, September 1st is coming up. And on September 1st, myself, you, and Will Mavity, who I've had on the show before, We're going to be embarking, actually, on a new show, a new format, and a whole new focus. We are going to be diving very deep into the Oscar season. There will be a name change for the website. There will be a name change for the show. We're going to definitely be taking a closer look at everything that's going on behind the scenes in regards to the Oscar race, how it's impacting all the films that are coming out, how the films that are also coming out are impacting the race, vice versa, et cetera, et cetera. It is a very, very exciting time of the year, and it's something that on a week-by-week basis, I would love to have you guys, you know, there to talk about it, ultimately. And hopefully our listeners will appreciate that as well. We're still going to be doing major new release reviews for the week, and we'll definitely have a couple of guests on. But I'm really very much looking forward to that. And I'm very much looking forward to having you come along for the journey as well.
1: Well, I'm very excited to to be doing it. This is my first time within the podcast universe, as I'm sure many of you could tell by this recording. But I'm very excited to talk about the Oscars and the upcoming season. This is my favorite time of the year, the award season. So I'm looking forward to seeing what's at the festivals and these upcoming theatrical releases. There's a lot to be done, and I'm looking forward to talking about it with you and Will.
0: Absolutely. And if you want to check out more of Michael's work, follow him on Twitter at MikeMovie. You're commentary on the award season, your constant uh, tweeting throughout the day. Actually, I think all of your tweets are always very relevant. And I think and I love the questions that you uh, put forth for everybody to ponder and create great discussion over. So I'm very much looking forward, like I said before, to having you coming along with us on this. Will Mavity, as you guys have probably heard before, he's been on a couple of different episodes of the podcast. He's helped me out with Game of Thrones episodes. He's helped me out with movie reviews. Will's definitely a very, very good partner to have uh, along with us as well. and He, too, loves the Oscar race as much as I do. So September 1st, be on the lookout for that. Uh, The website, everything is going to be changing. Um, There will probably be a redirect, something or another set up by that point. So that this way, you guys, if you go to negsbestthing.com, you'll find your way over to our new website, which I'm not going to reveal the name just yet. But it will be up and running on September 1st. With that said, we have a lot to look forward to in the next week or so. There's a couple of tail end of the summer releases coming out. I'm not exactly sure just yet which films I want to review. It's all going to depend upon the access with which I'm able to see Southside with you. That is the film that chronicles the night that Barack Obama went on a uh, date with Michelle Obama at the time, not known as Michelle Obama, just Michelle Robinson. So we'll have to see... How that goes. If not, uh, *Don't Breathe* is coming out. *Hands of Stone*. I have not seen the first *Mechanic* film with Jason Statham. Did you? Did you see that movie, Mike? I didn't even know that was
1: coming out this weekend. To be perfectly <laughs> honest.
0: <laughs> yeah. So they've got m- uh, *Mechanic* resurrection. Ooh coming out uh next week i think we'll pass on that one. I, I i could care less exactly i'm um, i'm not about that sorry people that like jason Statham in those action films but we have a, a lot of other things to look forward to i mean don't breathe is getting really glowing reviews right now uh for the horror genre and every year it seems like there's a couple of horror films nowadays that are just really up in the ante and are really um putting putting themselves forward and really making a statement on the genre as a whole where before the past I feel like we got so much crap all the time I mean lights out was pretty decent I did not like lights out okay that's fine but do you agree with me that the witch was amazing
1: I thought the witch was good I'm not gonna call it amazing okay because I'm not a huge horror fan so I'm not a good person to go by on that that's fine knowing what type of genre I like I like the witch more than most films that kind
0: okay and, and that's fair. I, I, I love The Witch. It's one of my favorite films of the year so far, and I truly, truly, truly enjoyed that film.
1: I would put The Witch in the same camp as Kubo, where I admire it more
0: than I love it. And that's fair. That's fair. With that said, do you have any final thoughts uh, before we call it a day here for this episode of the night's Best Film Podcast?
1: Well, I appreciate you having me on today to talk about these two very different movies. And I'm very excited to embark on this journey into our Oscar podcast starting in September. I know there's going to be a lot to talk about, and I'm looking forward to it.
0: Absolutely. I want to thank you once again for being on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to check me out, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, everywhere, negsbestthing.com. That's N-E-G-S, because I am the one and only... Maddie Meggs. I will see you all next time.